Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, Lovely to be here. Some of you know me, some of you don't. Um, We pray for many of you guys on Monday night at our little prayer group. You guys communicate via some of the elders and and, uh, we pray for that confidentially. We've seen many breakthroughs. My name's Dan. Um, uh, I'm, an, I'm an elder serving in the morning service, uh, married to uh, my wife, Anafia Fia. We have a, a semi-good little two-year-old. Uh, there we go. There's a picture of my wife um, uh, who, uh, who has, um, yeah, he's a, he's, a lot, he's a lot older than that baby now. But I wanted to show a picture of my wife. Some of you may, may be aware, two months ago we, w- we went through a pretty rough time and in fact, I think some of you guys were praying for her uh, in the evening service. So, yeah, I really want to thank you for that. Um, so five weeks after COVID, she developed this strange muscle syndrome. So, so if you guys are tracking with the news, some, some people can get these pericarditis or myocarditis. Often they get long COVID, like profound fatigue with it, and it lasts for quite a while. Um, and my recommendation is don't go overseas or go camping five to eight weeks after COVID, okay? There's another, God forbid, another wave of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, she got a severe um, muscle disorder to the point that she actually couldn't breathe. She had to go on a ventilator in hospital for 14 days. Um, and at one point the doctors uh, didn't think she would make it. But now I'm very happy to report she is walking and singing and driving and cooking Praise God. <laughs> and she's going back to work, work next month. Um, and, and this did not have to happen. Some of my colleagues that have had pericarditis, they still haven't recovered. Um, God is good. God is good. Words cannot describe our renewed appreciation for this, for this community. I mean, I love this community, but e- even more. Not just prayer, but incredible amounts of tasty food. Uh, packages were given to, to me and the little guy. During those six weeks, um, many of the elders came and prayed with me. Uh, Margie visited. Nick came to the hospital and, and, and really prayed with me at a difficult time. I got so many encouraging texts from so many people in Hills. Um, and I just, I, just, I just say, I mean, I, I often meet, I'm a doctor at the Royal Adelaide. I often meet Australians who just can't stop criticizing the church. I wouldn't have got through this time without the love of the saints in the community. So who's aware? God's actually, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there on the news, but God's actually working at the moment in big ways. After seven, not more than seven knockbacks, we suddenly have land for Vedan. I mean, this is incredible. Um, even the AM service, we've had a number of people that have just rocked up. I say, what are you doing here? And they say, I don't know. I just feel called to come to go to church. I'm, an, I'm a relatively new Christian. I don't know any other Christians. What you call a gathering work, God is moving. I've heard of some revival um, in Point Pierce on York Peninsula. There's a number of Aboriginals that have rededicated or given their hearts to Christ in the last two years. It's amazing. I had a, uh, my wife and I support a number of local Indian workers in India. It's a tough place to be a Christian at the moment. And I, I got a text from uh, Dr. Dan a few years, a few days ago. This was on Tuesday. I was invited uh, last Tuesday to pray with a Hindu family. The head of the household suddenly had an attack of paralysis. They took him to the hospital, um, nothing worked. He went home half paralysed, 
sounds like some kind of stroke or something. Um, and this brother was invited to come over to the house and he prayed for the guy in Jesus' name. Next morning he got up and walked and now the whole family are reading the scriptures. Amen. God's working. Um, on September the 10th, next slide, brother, uh, we had our Afghan, I didn't advertise this much because of everything my wife had been through, but anyway, she went and a couple of you guys came and it was awesome. Um, one Afghan lady we're going to pray for, Nalifa, has asked for us to teach her English over the next 12 months. Sophia's going to meet with her every, uh, on Thursdays. And, um, and yes, she wants to learn English, but a lot of these people, these are Hazara, Afghani women, so they're Shia Muslims. Honestly, they're looking for friendship. They're looking for love. They're looking for Christ. Uh, another family, next slide, brother. Um, so this family, I've been trying to meet this husband, the dad, for the last two years. He came. We couldn't believe it actually came to the outreach. We talked to these guys for more than an hour. Mikey and Lee played toy soccer with them or something like this. And his oldest son, I don't know how. So this family are Arab. They're Arab Sunnis living from Iran. So they're unusual. They're different from normal Persians. Um, and the only, the only people that's helping this family, they have no money, no visas. They can't get anything at the moment. They're stranded in between uh, the next bit of paperwork. And the only people that have been feeding them are basically the St. Vincent's de Paul and the Salvation Army, Christians. So they're extremely open and they ask for if we would mentor the oldest son who's doing year 12 this year. Hallelujah. So God is working. Now the, the church is alive, growing in depth and breadth with signs and wonders. And, and uh, you know, Christ wants us to be prepared for this next season. He doesn't want us to remain baby Christians forever. And he's trying to, he's trying to prepare us. This is what the upper room message is about. It's moving from basics to beginning to be a real disciple who has personal access to the Father. That's why Jesus' ministry was so incredible. He did it from our side, in a sense. He could have clicked this. He did it from our side with personal access to the Father. Amen. He wants us to get that one. So I've been asked, Nick's asked me to share an introduction as part of a longer series on discipleship. Um, and our text tonight is from John 14, uh, 1 to 14, with some of the scenes set in Mark's gospel. So let's read through some of John 14, and then I'm going to ask you guys a question. All right, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will have known my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father. That, that would be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been uh, with you for such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. 
Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they'll do even greater things than this, because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You can ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. Amen. So a question, have you guys, maybe, maybe this hasn't happened to you guys, it certainly happened to me. Have you ever been travelling overseas, you pay for tickets, expensive, and you organise all this stuff, and then, and it's awesome, and you see all these interesting cultures and, and, and new places, and then halfway through the trip, you just think, mm, I just, I just want to go home. <laughs> Has that happened to anybody? You might be just travelling interstate and all this, you know, I just want to go home. Homebody. Back to the Shire, home where you are loved and known, where you can laugh, where you're understood. Home where you can put down deep roots and build a life, a community. It's an extremely powerful feeling. And, and many, many theologians, many commentators would say that the, the upper room dialogue, Jesus is actually painting a picture of our true home. He's prepared a place for us that's connected to our true identity. And nothing can, no one can steal that away from us. This is where we truly belong. And, and in this place is how we're going to thrive. We're not going to do a lot as Christ, baby Christians uh, until we get and stay in the upper room. Um, so the chapters 13 to 17 are very unusual in the Bible. Many of you, I'm sure, have, have loved them and have read them. Um, some call it the upper room discourse. Some people call it the disciples' discipleship handbook. It's mainly red letters, Jesus talking. Chapter 13, there's a bit of back and forth. But after that, uh, it's mainly Christ talking. And it's definitely the deepest and longest chains of words spoken directly from our Lord. And it's not present in Matthew or Mark or Luke. Um, and strangely, it was probably compiled much later, many, many, many years after the other books were written. And, you know, you can have your critics on that. But I would argue John, who was there, wanted to make sure every verse, everyone was perfect and tested and Holy Spirit filled and anointed, and that's why it's so incredible to read. So it begins with the washing of the disciples' feet in this upper room, and it ends with his incredible high priestly prayer in John 17. Um, and it reveals just so much about the heart of Christ. And you know, I've often thought to myself, if I was alone on a desert island for 10 years, I think I could almost survive if I only just had John 13 to 17 uh, to chew on because it's so life-giving. I know Nick would really encourage you guys to memorize some of these verses. They certainly helped me in my life. Um, can anyone quote anything from John 13 to 17 that they can remember right now? I am the, Nick's been preaching on this already, I am the vine, you are the branches. No longer do I call you slaves, but you are friends, Amen. You did not appoint me, but I appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. That's a good one when you're depressed. Good one, good one, but it's not, it's not exactly. In, um, I, it's a good one, it's a good one. But, um, so yeah, John 13 to 17 has, has, has many wonderful 
um, uh, verses that stand out on their own and, and, and they just build on each other. Um, and what's interesting, if you want to think about lit- literary styles in Scripture, in the other Gospels, to, before the cross, Jesus mainly talks about prophetic future calamity events, okay, like earthquakes, antichrists, um, famines, wars, and we've certainly seen some of that in history. In John's Gospel, he doesn't talk about that. He just focuses on intimacy with the Father. Almost like he, it's, he doesn't want us to, 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 go, to get sucked down to the fear and confusion world. He wants us to focus on the peace that we will know if we're willing to grow our relationship with the Father, with all that turmoil around us. You, hear, you hearing me? Um, so the tone many writers talk about of John 13 to 17 is one of calm, it's peaceful, but it's intense. He's about to go to the cross. And every now and then he'll say stuff like, come on, let's go, let's just get up. And he'll start talking about the vine again. So it's like a farewell speech, and we love to listen to people. Uh, I love to listen to people uh, um, um, before they leave. It's a farewell speech, but in another way he keeps describing that he's coming back to us in a new way. And the language of Christ's imminent departure and return and our sadness and disturbance of that is described as causing our spiritual growth. It's very interesting. He says stuff like, it's better for you that I go away, even though they love him. Sounds like a mother dropping a kid off on the first day of school. So there's a, can you see there's a growth occurring here? Um, just a quick note about leadership at this point. I didn't speak about this the other week, but a, there's a lot of amazing mission books recently written on this, but a true Christ-like leader actually rapidly empowers people to serve. And you can talk to people that have often been burnt out or offended in other churches, but often what you see it was a, is what's called a false godlike complex where one person was basically controlling the whole thing and didn't allow room for people to grow organically in who Christ actually has destined those people to be. Now, I don't, I don't normally want to talk politics, but Putin is a classic example of the opposite of good leadership at the moment. You'll be aware of what's been happening. So he's using fear violence, coercion and lies to manipulate people to do what he wants and he's destroying lives and families. He's, he's very close to the perfect embodiment of what we know in the, in the end, the evil one. And I just say to you young people, um, if you're in a relationship where you feel trapped or controlled, you might think that's love or forced to do things that's not the healthy relationship that Christ is calling us to. Do you hear me? I just say that. So very quickly, or even before his death, Christ is already sitting these guys in the upper and he's preparing them to each have their own incredible ministries and he wants them to have access to the same Father that he had. And he wants them to shine in the acts of the apostles and they do and so can we. Because we're still here, amen, in the upper room. This is how incredible Christ is. Um, so let's just, okay, last literature point. There, is so much, there are so many symbols in this whole section. I think we, my scholars have counted over 24 that are the same as the Song of Songs. Anyone heard of the Song of Songs? It's this really deep book in the wisdom, poetry part of the Old Testament. 
It's a poem celebrating romantic intimacy of the king and the bride. This is what we're seeing here, but in a much more um, uh, real and personal context. So you have the king's chamber, the hidden place, the vine, wine, a royal wedding, covenantal cup. Many theologians believe that John knew the Song of Songs so well and its importance of the sign of covenantal love in his bride. There is one example of an upper room discourse in the Old Testament. Um, I gave a quiz for this last Sunday morning, but no one kind of got it. Anyone know? (laughs) It was a very unusual part of Scripture where God somehow has a meal, Yahweh has a meal on top of this sapphire pavement with the elders of Israel on top of Mount Sinai, and then he gives them the commandments. It's, It's a little bit similar to what we're reading here. But what we're reading here is so much more intimate and real and perfect because the word has become flesh. Hallelujah. So let's just have a look at Mark 14, uh, if we have it there. This is, this is just some of the context to the upper room. It says, Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead into Jerusalem with these instructions. Make your way into the city and look for a man carrying a pitcher, an earthenware pitcher of water. Follow him and say to the owner of whatever house he enters, the teacher wants to ask you, do you have my room ready? Where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples and he'll show you a large upstairs room ready and with the table set. Make preparations for us there. So they went into the city. They found everything to be exactly like Jesus prophesied and they prepared for him the Passover meal. And when evening came, he entered the house and went upstairs with his 12 disciples. So this is obvious, but it's, it's, it's worth reflecting on. Up until now, the disciples the last three years have been following Jesus to other people's houses, okay, and public places, um, largely doing intense missional activity, deliverance ministry, engaging with the public, people that are not yet believers. But now Jesus himself prepares a secret place, right, and a meal, an amazing meal, and special arrangements Just for his disciples, no one else there. We're not going to talk about the betraying one tonight. When when did you organise this? This is better than me organising a date for my wife. I'll try and find a Thai restaurant on Google Maps and hope hope it'll be open when we get there. But I need to improve from Jesus. But here he's gone mysteriously before and he's prepared a place for them. Can you see that? Can you see... He's preparing a a real context so that they begin to believe that the Father has prepared a place for them. You get that? Why does he bother? The early church fathers who really believed in symbolism, if you read some of these ancient writings, they kind of saw the whole thing as symbolic of the owner of the house is the Father and the guy carrying the water is like the Holy Spirit poured out and... We go upstairs to like a heavenly room and, you know, it, it's very interesting. Above the clamour of the outside world, they had to ascend these stairs. And you think to yourself, what have you gone up there? Why does Jesus go to these lengths? Why not just get on with the mission, get it done? And do you believe that Christ has gone ahead of each of you and has actually prepared a special place for you better than any romantic date you could ever have as a reward for your allegiance to him. Do you believe that? Would you go up the stairs or would you disqualify yourself as unworthy from the get-go? 
So there's a few things to note, in, and I'm summarizing John 13 here. He, this is just before his, his crucifixion and trial. He doesn't send each disciple off to pray in their own prayer closet at their own house at this critical point. He doesn't do that. It's actually more important to Jesus they sit and talk and talk about the future and learn about their new roles and responsibilities together. Together, He's actually creating a new type of community on earth that he, um, uh, what's the word, um, that, he, that he validates or makes, makes real by the power of the cross. And we need to be careful, especially after COVID. Can you feel it? We need to be careful that we don't go back to a hyper-individualistic culture where we all do everything on our own, but just pretend when we rock up to church. You can even be in a marriage. I'm not speaking for myself, but I know from counselling others. You can be in a marriage for 30 years, but actually be extremely lonely because you're not living in the upper room fellowship that Christ intended for us. And I say, and I know Nick would agree, if you're struggling to pray on your own, um, in your own prayer closet, start with a small group or with Thursday night worship. Feel the fire of the Holy Spirit and that will help you begin to pray on your own when you're going to work, when you're catching the bus. And so the next point is discipleship is not something we do on our own. It's something we do together. There's, to grow in Christ means to grow in the love of the saints. You can't do that if there's no saints around you. Hallelujah. Thirdly, the reward of your obedience, your allegiance, is, is intimacy with Christ. It's better than anything. If you go on with him, you have intimacy and special times with the Lord in your life that you would never change for the world. He's thanking them for following him. This is a recurring theme in the scriptures and the New Testament. As we suffer with him, we'll know him in the power of his resurrections. Amen. And the fourth point, we are already clean. Remember Peter says, oh, wash me, wash all of me. He said, no, no, there should be no doubt. If you're a true believer tonight, and if you're not, we can talk about this after, but if you're a true believer tonight, you are already clean because of the finished work of Christ. There is no more washing to be done. You're allowed to be in the upper room, but the devil tricks us and he doesn't allow us to stay here. We condemn ourselves, we stay out, and then we miss out on the deeper fellowship of having incredible prayers answered. And that's what the upper room is really about, having amazing prayers answered and the church coming as an army. So, so we don't need to be rewashed. So let's get ready and have our hearts prepared in this next season, post-COVID hopefully, new land, um, new mission trips. Let's get our hearts ready for an upper room upgrade. Amen? So and the most important point on this section, why does Jesus go to all these lengths in arranging this special time? It's because discipleship is so important to him. It's like he's saying, you'll see me work but now it's your turn and the cross is going to make all of that possible. And I prepared a room for you tonight so that you would know forever that your Father has prepared a place for you. There's a place in the Father for you to serve and, and it's also your home and it's also your identity. So Nick asked me to talk briefly about discipleship. Jesus really cares about discipleship. 
not just quick salvation, not just superficial salvation. And a disciple is not just a student-teacher relationship. Many of you guys may have had some wonderful teachers in your studies so far. Might have had some bad teachers. But a disciple is not just a teacher. It's someone who inspires you so much that you set your heart to become like them. Amen. And we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. So it's not just head knowledge. It's not just a, a belief in itself. It's a process of spiritual growth that Christ is most concerned that we get on with in our lives. And you might say, oh, I'm a young person. I, you know, the most important thing in my life is finding a godly partner who's semi-good looking <laughs> or getting good marks, you know, so you can glorify Christ at work or school. I would say no. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus would say no. It's, it's actually your discipleship that is the most important thing. The more you're like Christ in that workplace, the more you're a dynamo. You don't need to be the smartest or the richest or the most good looking. Be like Christ and watch the place shake. Amen. All right, so we're just going to look at a couple of verses in, in John 14 and then we're going to close. So number one, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I, I'm a, I work as a cancer doctor. I've seen so many people filled with joy and peace and assurance when you read these passages to them in their final hours. And that's true. But often we of evangelicals have assumed that this whole section is just talking about heaven. But if you read on, it's, it's not. It's talking about us as discipleships in this life praying with access to the Father the way Jesus had. So I'm not taking away from the heaven part. We need that. And that gives us confidence. But can you also imagine he's actually talking about your life now, that you have a place in the Father, right, that no one can change, that's more powerful than any demonic influence that you can begin to walk in. Imagine that. Amen. So he's describing an amazing place of intimacy with the Father that we have access to that's also our true home. Where is he going? He's going to the Father. You cannot separate the relationship from the house, right? We all know this. In Australia, there's a type of person, please don't become like this. I know many um, who they just, they just love real estate. You know, there's an open inspection down the road. They're going to go and see, they love to see these new men. They walk around. They could never afford some of these houses. They like to look around and just imagine themselves living in these incredible places. There are some people in my own family like this, I'm not going to say. Um, sometimes we, we materialistic Westerners, we want the house and we don't always want the relationship. But the best house comes from the best architect, amen? So then Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's how he begins the whole discourse. Don't let your hearts be troubled, anxious, weighed down. The upper room, our upper room discipleship starts with peace, joy, communion. We can't serve Christ if we're always anxious about everything. We can't serve Christ if we're always angry about everything, swearing our heads off. That's not going to give him glory. In the upper room, Christ is calling each of us to a maturity where we operate out of our foundation of peace because that's how he operated. And we have, the, we have the assurance of that peace because of the finished work of Christ. We don't have to be afraid of man. 
Do not fret, Psalm 33. It only leads to evil doing. Be anxious for nothing. We know that one. Good. Knowing your identity and where you are going can give you a lot of peace. Now, later on that section 14, he says, greater works you will do because I go to the Father. And we, we evangelicals often are scared of these verses. It just seems too radical. Like, who really believes this? Like, Jesus had an amazing ministry, right? Greater works you will do because I'm going to the Father. He says later in the next chapter, he says, you should rejoice because I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. So Jesus himself has an extremely high regard for the power of the Father as creator, architect. And yet, in, 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 a, in a mysterious way, humble enough, working behind every scene in your life, and yet he wants to know you, just as he knew Jesus. Not a small thing to know the Father. This is why Philip says, I'll just show us the Father, it's everything. Jesus wants, to show, wants us to, uh, so do, do, we believe, do we really believe this verse? Is it literal? Is it metaphorical? If you look at the books of Acts, you see early believers like Stephen and Philip and the apostles performing extraordinary miracles. Peter's, Peter's sermon, 3,000 came to faith in one day. That, that didn't happen in Jesus' ministry. So even in the book of Acts, you can say that verse became true and the church continues to go on. But I would, and I've said this before, I would hate us to get to the end of our lives and Jesus says, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for being so faithful. Um, thank you for walking in, um, in, and, uh, and serving the body of Christ. But I sent a number of people that you could have prayed for in faith and I, I, was, just, I was just ready to, to set them free and to heal them. I don't want to miss anything the Lord has for me. So there's a part of me that needs to grow up and remove my intellectualism and remove my pseudoscience and believe that there's a part of what Jesus is saying here for each one of us that at the right time, at the right place, we will do great things and our prayers, can be, um, uh, and our prayers will be answered. Now, you can grumble and complain and I've met many Christians who say, oh, no, God never answers my prayers. I would be very surprised if over the entire course of your life, you've never actually seen anything answered. We often forget what we've actually prayed, right? God doesn't forget. And he goes ahead and does it. There's a few traps here. If you don't believe in a living God who intervenes in the real world, you're going to have a dull prayer life. You can recite liturgy, but you won't truly pray if you don't believe the Father is a living God. This was the her heresy of the Sadducees. They didn't believe in angels or afterlife. Very similar to Australian secular atheists. Boring people. If you're a fatalist or a hyper-Calvinist, you won't truly pray because you think it's all, all determined anyway, predetermined. Again, those people have a boring prayer life. Um, there, are, there are people I know uh, that I've met in the Middle East and whatever happens, they say, Inshallah, Inshallah, God wills, if God wills. Something goes wrong down the street, Inshallah but they don't have a living relationship with a God who cares justice, mercy, hears prayer. Christ is ushering us on to a deeper prayer life. Why? Because he had a very active prayer life and it gave him great joy to work with the Father and see the Father do things. 
Until now, and this is one of the best verses of all in, 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 in the next section. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be made full. So happy Christians, happy Christians are people who see the Father begin to work around them. Hallelujah. Put up your hand if you want more of that in your life. It's not boring. You're, you're attached to a power that's far stronger than Putin or any political force or any, or any army in the Asia-Pacific region. You attach to the greatest power who is actually the power of love, who knows you and wants to know and wants to work with you just as the Father just loved working with Jesus. Amen. And then he says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is an extremely deep verse. Before I close, I can't, I can't unpack it theologically, but I can do a basic um, demonstration. Now, who's that prayer girl? Abby, you can come up front here as a, as a prayer. Mike, you can come up as a father figure. Maybe if I just show you guys a demonstration, you can, you can start to get. So if Abby... Um, Abby sits on this chair, symbolic of being on her knees in prayer for a certain situation that she knows she's been called by the Holy Spirit and the will of God to really pray for. Um, and Mike's the father in heaven or near her with his arms out. <laughs> a bit, bit closer. <laughs> Peri, perichoresis, perichoresis, brother. Yep, yep. So Mike's the father. I, I can all symbolically... Um, <laughs> I'll symbolically pretend to be uh, uh, Christ, so I'm, I'm with her. And I need, also need my notes here. So Abby's praying, okay? Abby's praying. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So the Father hears her prayer because she's covered by the blood, she's been justified. And she's been reborn and she's now a child of the king. So the father hears her prayer and he's pleased to answer her prayer. Because her heart has begun to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, what she's beginning to pray is actually in line with the father's will. She's not just praying for a Lamborghini or a Porsche. Or she's praying in the love of Christ for his will. You get that? It's, this is deep, but this is real. So... She's praying the Father and the Father says, yes, child, I'm more than happy to answer that prayer and he sets in line motions and that prayer begins to be answered. Amen. And then a few days later or whenever it happens, Abby, Abby sees that the prayer is answered and Christ rejoices and says, look, look at my Father. Look what he can do. And Abby says, look at my Father. Look what he can do. And the father says, look at my son, for only he is found worthy. And the father and the son say, look at my child, who we have seen Christ form, form in, who, who we'd be pleased to see Christ form in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Can you see, and I haven't explained it very well, but can you see that when we truly pray, with full access in faith to the Father, we're actually touching the very perichoresis of the triune God. 
That ain't boring. That ain't boring. You can be 85, riddled with arthritis, and still participate in the perichoresis dynamo of the triune God. And this, this circle of intimate relationship is dictating what will happen in the, in the years and eras and seasons ahead because nothing happens apart from the prayers of the saints. Amen. All right, you guys can sit down. <laughs> so whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you want the Father to be glorified in the Son, in your own prayers? Or do you want to stay a baby Christian? There's a guy who took this um, upper room discourse very seriously. I've been reading about him a lot. Brother, you can put up the next, uh, uh, the next picture if it's there. Yeah, this guy, um, Blind Moses, this was an incredible man of God in the eight, late 1800s. And he led more Aboriginals to Christ than the missionaries, than the Lutheran missionaries. And he was blind from measles. And he used to walk across the desert 100 kilometres on these mission trips to back to his own people. And he would just, because he, because he was blind, he just remembered scripture perfectly and his sermons would be like scripture put together, but he had this incredible anointing. He would catch up with Aboriginals that had been running from him his whole life and, and they'd be praying. Uh, he'd, they'd ask for him to come and pray for healing and, and he'd say, ah, you've been running from God all, my, all your life, but now God's caught up with you and they'd accept the Lord. He's a deep guy. So yeah, two months ago, we were in a desperate situation. My, my wife contracted COVID in late June and then she got RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, and then she suddenly fainted twice on a Monday afternoon. Before I knew it, she developed this post-COVID autoimmune syndrome and needed a ventilator. Um, and that all happened within a 12-hour period. Um, her urine went a deep purple uh, colour from all the muscle breakdown that happened so quickly. And I, I came to the church on Sunday morning uh, with baby Joseph on my shoulders in desperation. And, uh, and on Saturday, the night before, I, I, I had um, I'd been told by the doctors it wasn't looking good, my wife wasn't going to make it. I got on my knees and I said, I said, Father, if this is Fia's time to go home, I will not curse you, I will continue to serve you. But if she will live... We will use this as a testimony to glorify the Father and the Son. Amen. What I didn't know that night, that Saturday night, at least nine people in, this con in, this, in the Hills community and a couple of others woke up at different times by the Holy Spirit to intercede. If that ever happens to you, I'm just telling you this, if that ever happens to you about a certain situation, please don't go back to sleep. Please, please, just for 10 minutes, get on your knees. Get on your knees. If the Holy Spirit wakes you up, he wants you to participate in the divine perichoresis. Amen. To see what the Father's going to do next on earth. So I got to the church the next morning. Um, Dave Shepherd was there and the whole church laid hands and we, and we prayed. When I got to the hospital at midday on the Sunday, all her numbers had gone back to normal. Her CK had come down, renal function improved, uh, the colour improved, and we know she was going to make it. 
The goal of the, the, goal of the teaching in the upper room is Jesus wants to activate our relationship with the Father. Do you want testimonies that will glorify Christ? Stay in the upper room. Learn from the Master. Abide in this place. This is your real home. In the upper room, in Christ having full access. The devil doesn't want us to realise we're in the upper room. He definitely doesn't want us to stay there. And most importantly, he does not want us to know that we have access to the only one that counts, Father. That's who Jesus came to tell us about. So we're going to pray in conclusion. We're going to pray two prayers. I'm going to pray a a general prayer of cleansing, washing of the word, because we all slip up and we all need to rededicate. Um, And then we're going to pray um, in in small groups. uh, We're going to pray a a revelation that we will begin to see the Father working in our workplaces, in our schools, in our universities. We're going to pray in small groups and then then the band will come up and, and, and we'll finish. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you have called each one of us, every believer here tonight, you've called us not just to save us um, from death and despair and not just to bring us to heaven, but you've called us to a place of intimacy with your Father. Father, we thank you for the blood of 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 the cross. We thank you for the cleansing blood of Christ that each of us does not have need to be rewashed in tidy. We thank you for the washing of the word tonight. And we just pray a cleansing over anyone who feels very distanced from the Lord, feels they're not allowed to pray to you, Father. Feel that you would, wouldn't be interested in them or that you don't have purpose for, for them in your kingdom. Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to come and soften and confirm the cleansing of the conscience, of the mind, of the soul, that, that, that those here tonight would, would know fully that they are already in Christ, already in the Father, and that they have full access to the upper room and they're allowed to begin to pray again to the Father in Jesus' name. And then I want you, I want you guys to keep your eyes closed and, and, and just I want you to picture your workplace or your study, whatever you do, nine to five in the weekdays. Just picture it right now. And I want to imagine the Father going ahead of you, moving into that place, changing things, making you a blessing that others would look to you and ask for an account of the hope that you have. So, Father, I really pray, Holy Spirit, give each of us a deeper revelation of the power and the love of the Father in our lives and in our workplaces, going ahead of us, giving us courage, not fear, knowing this is our true place, our home, our true identity. So I just want you guys to find a group of three or four and just together... Pray into this, pray into your work situations, your study situations, and pray that you would see in these days ahead the Father going ahead of you and preparing a place 
of ministry for you in your lives. Can we do that? Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.